0: Today, as we we go to God's Word, it's it's so rich. It's interesting that, and I know you can read a secular book and see things you never saw before and learn things you never saw. But if you've been a student of the Word, you'll have a, a chapter in the Bible that you'll find out, I've read this thing 50 times and I get new life out of it every time I read it because the Word of God is living, it's alive, it's powerful, it's transforming. So what we're going to talk about is I don't know if anyone here ever wished they could get a little more traction in some of their goals and some of their dreams in their life. You know, you get a little more sure footing and make some forward momentum. Uh, I know that I have. And I don't know if any of you would say, you know, last week we looked at that word blessed. I would like that biblical definition of that word to be true in my life. And uh, the biblical definition of blessed, let's throw that up on the screen, it it talks about being, this out of the amplified by happy, Enviably fortunate, enviably fortunate, spiritually prosperous. I just want to pause for a second. Wouldn't you like to be so fortunate, so blessed that people envied you? Now, you could tell them, because there's a goal to that, if they come and say, what's going on with your life? What is your life? You can tell them, Jesus. There's a purpose behind it. You can point people to Jesus. Spiritually prosperous, possessing the happiness produced by the experience of God's favor, And especially conditioned by the revelation, the understanding, the unfolding of his grace, regardless of their outward conditions. See, I like that because it's not just a message that, oh, God's a genie and a lamp, and everything will be perfect in your life, and everything will be wonderful, you'll never have to undergo a surgery, you'll never have a problem, you'll never have anything. No, you can have this blessed life, regardless of what conditions are and circumstances at the time. I promise you, there's somebody, I'm serious about this, there's somebody in a Chinese prison, and they've been imprisoned there for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and on this Lord's Day, their heart's going to swell with joy. And and you say, how? Because it's not dependent upon outward conditions. It's something that happens because of Jesus. And so if you're somebody who said, I would like to get a little more traction in my life, I would like to have that become a, a living reality, what does the word of God say? See, I'm going to share something with you that I usually like to be a little further down the journey, further down the road in, in exploring a topic before I share it. And But then I thought, you know what? We can all grow together and we can learn together. This has been on my heart for a while, but I've never really dug into it deeply, but I have been, so I want to pass it along. i got plenty of room to grow, and we can all grow together. So if there's something you want to succeed at spiritually, and that should be our first priority, the Bible says, that the spirit, man, the heart, everything flows out of it. And it's not talking about your, your organ, your, your muscle and your chest. It's talking about who you are spiritually. Everything flows out of that. So it's very important that we be spiritually healthy. But when I'm trying to move forward spiritually, maybe you want to improve your prayer life or your Bible study or your devotion or your church attendance or, or whatever it is, and also natural things, when, when I'm not getting the traction I want, I'm telling you what our default normally is. We say, I, I, I want to progress spiritually. I want to, want to conquer a sin that's just bugged me for a long time. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet everyone here has something, if not a few somethings, that just, oh, Lord, you know, I need to get past this. Maybe it's a bad habit you need to break, or maybe it's an addiction you need to overcome. God has answers for those things. What ends up happening, if you're like me, is when I don't get the sure footing that I want and make the forward progress I want, I say to myself, and maybe you say this too, you know what, here's our default, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to double down on this thing. I'm really going to get aggressive towards it. But you all know this, you've already tried that 20 times. So what is the solution? We're going to look for that. So we start making plans, we start making goals, we start doing this. Now, I'm real good at doing this while I'm sitting on the couch you know, watching Andy Griffith or something, and, you know, I can have all these great plans. But then somewhere in life, you have to actually do the plans. You know what I mean? That's where the problem is. I mean, I can picture my, how I want my yard and, and my plant beds to look. There's just somewhere I have to get off there and go do it. So that's what happens. And if you've been like me, you've set goals, you've made plans, you've done this, maybe you just did them in your head, maybe you're one of those, you know, engineers that you mapped it all out in Excel and you've got it all laid out and you charted it and everything and you're going to make this happen and then you find out I didn't even make it a day, I didn't even make it a week, let alone a month or a year or have a true transformation where my life was different, so what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do to make forward momentum in the things that have eluded, kind of been slippery in my life and how can I get further down the road? Well, I'm not telling you don't work, don't try, don't plan, don't put out any effort, just be an old piece of driftwood that just floats down the stream wherever it wants to go. No. But God has a method for how to do things, and we're going to look at that method and dig into it. And I want to remind us again, as I do with some regularity, Christianity is a new kingdom we've been transferred into. We were In the dominion of darkness, I think it's Colossians 1:13 that tells us that. We were once in the dominion of darkness, but we've been translated into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We've been translated into the kingdom of Jesus. And so we're operating in a different kingdom now. And kingdoms have different rules and different regulations and different ways they function. And the same way with Jesus's. Jesus' kingdom always seemed upside down. We've talked about before. You want to be first? What's Jesus' kingdom say? Then be last. You want to be master, then be servant. You want to get, then give. The kingdom of Jesus operates and functions differently, but it functions beautifully if we'll get in sync with it. But whether it's spiritual or whether it's natural, we've got to make forward momentum. And we're surrounded, you might notice this, by the natural world. Which, hear me, that's not bad. This natural world is beautiful and wonderful and incredible, and and I'm not picking on the natural world. We even have five senses that we have in our beings that's designed to detect and understand the world that's going on around us so we can can move accordingly with what God is doing in the natural world. But there's also a spiritual world around us. Did y'all hear that? There's also a spiritual world around us. Now, what happens a lot of times, even in churches, is the spiritual world is kind of You know, wow, we don't really know about that. That's crazy. So we just try to make this, this kingdom of Jesus, this very spiritual life of being a believer, and we try to just box it into a very natural thing. And God's bigger than the natural world. And so when we think about that there's a spiritual kingdom around us, so it's not just the natural world that influences us, but the spiritual world influences us. If we went to Ephesians 6, I think it's 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 would say, your struggle, your fight is not with other human beings. You may say, well, you don't know who I work with. or You don't know what I live with. Okay, it's not with other human beings. Our fight is not with flesh and blood, but it's, it, our fight's against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual force that's in operation, and we have an enemy of our soul. Satan wants to resist us us and anything we want to do and so there's this spiritual kingdom that's pushing against us but there's also a spiritual kingdom that's cheering us on and and moving ahead and helping us remember uh, Elisha they wanted to get Elisha because uh, the king of Abram was against Israel but every time they wanted to plan an attack Elisha would get a word from the Lord and tell the king don't do this. Don't go here. Don't go there. There's a plot set up for you. And so the king of Abram said, we got a spy. And they said, we don't have a spy. Israel's got a prophet. they got somebody who will tell, tell you what, what, what is up. He'll, he'll tell you, Elijah knows the secret you're whispering around. So they decide, well, we got to capture this guy, Elisha. And so they sent out a, a, a huge battalion, a huge infantry of people to capture Elisha in the town of Dothan, I think it was. And... Um, and so the servant gets up, walks outside, and goes, oh, my goodness, we are in trouble. We're surrounded by the Arameans. The army's after us. He tells Elisha, he said, we're in trouble. He said, man, there's, there's, I don't know what we're going to do. And Elisha says, just relax. He says, no problem. There's more with us than are with them. And so the servant is saying, I don't know where you went to, that must be new math, you know, it must be that new math that's the older people always complain about. Somehow you see the two of us as more. But then Elisha says, open up the eyes of my servant that he might see. He opens up the eyes of Elisha's servant, and he sees angelic hosts and chariots of fire all over the place. And then the servant goes, wow, Elisha was right. There's more with us than are with them. And it's a fascinating story, but that's not my message today, but it's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And so we got this spiritual dimension working both ways. And something else I want to tell you, because there is this, and I imagine there's not too many people here affected by it, but it is a a teaching that people think in their heads that Satan and Jesus have been in this cosmic conflict for millennia, and neither one can quite, it's like a wrestling match, but neither one can quite pin the other. You know, Jesus starts to get the three count, but then he doesn't. Then Satan starts to get it, but then he doesn't. And the match goes on and on and on. Let me tell you the good news. Jesus thoroughly defeated the devil. Thoroughly. It's what the Bible says. In his sinless life, his death that he died in our place, his glorious resurrection, the Bible says that Satan was thoroughly and completely defeated And that Jesus actually made an open mockery of him. But he hasn't yet taken him and thrown him into the lake of fire. So there's like this rogue army out there that we have to deal with. And that fight still goes on because after the resurrection of Jesus and after the guy named Paul met him, the resurrected Jesus, he writes about the, the spiritual struggle that takes place in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. But I do want you to know we are victorious. You know, we need to know that. The devil knows we're victorious, Jesus knows we're victorious, you and I need to learn that we are victorious, and I'll tell you what the Bible says, you are more than conquerors in Christ, not in and of your, your own self, but in Christ, we are more than conquerors, amen. So today I want to talk about the spiritual path of transformation, because I don't want us just to have a good week or a good month, I want us to have a transformed life. That's what you want, that's what I want, and that's what we're going for. But the problem for most of us is that, and not for everybody, there's some people, and you, you probably know one or two, they set a goal, they meet that goal. They set their face towards it, they do whatever it takes, they achieve it, it's done. But for the rest of us mere mortals, we would like a little more help in understanding how to win, how to win with regularity, and how to move forward, So we're going to deal with the problem first. The problem is our flesh gets in our way. Our flesh gets in our way. Now, are our bodies bad? They're really not. I challenge you to find one time that Jesus spoke negatively about the human flesh he was in. The body that he was encapsulated with. Man, if anybody should have talked or could have talked negatively about being confined in a human body, it would be the God of all the universe who wrapped himself in a human body, but he never speaks negatively of the human body. Your human body is a beautiful, incredible gift from God. I've told you this before. I remember driving down the road one day, and I just looked at my hand, and I went like this, and I went, that's incredible. That is an incredible creation. God is incredible. His creation is incredible. He's amazing. But our flesh gets in our way. So we'll look at this in Matthew 26, 41, the first half of the verse, or second half of the verse. Jesus has his disciples. He's asked them to pray with him. Could you not pray with me one hour? He goes back and checks on them. And does anybody remember what he finds his disciples doing when he goes back and checks on them? Sleeping. sleeping. Those rascals, we would have never done that. But those guys, you know, they're sleeping. First of all, I'd be the first one to fall asleep. I mean, I, I turn into a pumpkin at midnight. You know, it's, it's, just, I, it's true. When I was a kid and just a teenager, because you say, oh, you're just getting old. Well, I must have been old by the time I was 12 because I'd go hang out with my buddies, and they'd all say, we're going to stay up all night. I'd make it till midnight, and that was it. And so that, that's about as far as I can make it. So I would have been the one asleep, and Jesus gives this word, word that most of you have probably heard, even if it's your first time in church. You've probably heard somewhere along the line somebody saying this. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak the flesh is weak the flesh needs rest it needs food it needs it needs uh, it gets weary it needs to bathe it needs all kinds of things part part of the beauty of our flesh honestly if we'll ever pause to think about it, it shows our utter dependence upon god and upon one another now maybe they've figured it out since then but back Probably 10 years ago, I was listening to the doctor talk, and it was on the topic of sleep, and they said, we have never figured out why we need to sleep. Now, the average response would be like, mine, that's pretty easy to figure out, because we get tired. He said, I get that, that we get tired, but they've ne- at that time, they've not found anything in our bodies that should cause us to get tired. We should just keep working. But sleep is something that God built into our system, and it shows our dependence upon God, and that God established the idea of rest. Do you know there was a guy, I think it was World War I, World War II, that was injured, with, uh, uh, was shot in the head and injured. When, when I first read the story, it was, it was uh, in the Dale Carnegie, course. I read the story, and I thought, that is not true. I looked up, it was true. Something happened, they never figured it out. The guy never had to sleep. Never made him sick, never bothered him, never exhausted him. He never had to sleep. He would rest his body like a couple hours a day, but he never had to sleep and and couldn't sleep. So apparently, our bodies can do that, but God built in this rhythm of rest. Our bodies need rest. You'll find out so much about rest, but I gotta be careful not to preach that message. But God, on the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. Was He exhausted? Did he run out of creative ideas? No, he just, he built in, he created a Sabbath rest for us, Jesus said. And so we got to figure out how do I get my flesh out of the way and find this rest in the Lord? Well, the second thing, Romans 7, verse 18, Paul, the topic of Romans 7, by the way, is all about Paul talking about the flesh of doing the law, the Jewish law versus the gospel of grace. And that if you want to, in your own effort, your own steam, really say, I'm a good person, and I'll prove it. I'm going to do good things, and I'm going to go to heaven because I do good. Paul is about to tell you it's not going to work. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He believed in the Jewish law. He was gung-ho after it until he met the resurrected Jesus. And he realized that he wasn't able to follow all the rules. Because if you break a single rule, you're a lawbreaker. I don't know how many rules are on the books in the nation. Probably 100,000 plus rules in the United States of America. I don't know. I didn't look it up. But if you go out and you do something criminal and you break one rule, guess what? You're a lawbreaker. You get thrown in jail, maybe into prison. You say, I only broke one rule. Well, it only takes breaking one rule to be a lawbreaker. So Paul is talking about this war between our flesh and our human energy and, and the beauty of the gospel of grace. So he says this in Romans 7, 18, for I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature or in my flesh. Now Jesus did not have a sinful nature, that's a whole other lesson, but a sinful nature in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good. So I want to pause there for a second because although we don't do good and it's very natural for us not to do good, we also can be There are atheists and people who mock God who still have intentions to do good things. So we can want to do good. Paul said, I want to do good. But we're not naturally good. The the world system will teach you that we are inherently good. That's not true. Case in point, I always use our children. If you were a child once, and I'm sure you were, and if you've ever been a parent and had children, you never had to teach your kids to be bad. You never had to teach them to lie. You never had to teach them to cheat. You never had to teach them to deceive. You never had to teach them to be rebellious. You never had to teach them any of those things. They learned that all on their own. I remember playing one of my kids, which will remain nameless, to protect the guilty. We're, we're playing Candyland. And this particular kid cheats. I mean, this kid's like three years old. And it's figured out how, a horrible cheater, by the way. Three, you're not a good cheater. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's something I want to win. I have to win. And I figured out how, how the, I can manipulate things and cheat. We, you've never had a parent say, I don't know what we're going to do with our kid. They're, they're too honest. They're too obedient. They're too kind. They're too good. We're going to have to teach our kids, you know, how to lie a little bit and how to rebel. You don't ever have to teach that because we're not inherently good. And Paul's saying this here. He said, I, I know... That good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, my flesh, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. The New King James says, for I have a desire to do what is good, but how to perform what is good I do not find. You ever felt like that? Two honest people. Okay. We've all felt like that. Then he moves on, Romans 7, 21. So I find this law at work. So it's a law. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I want you to apply that to everything in life. Everything in life. Now, I know the topic here is the law versus the gospel of grace, but I want you to know that you have an enemy of your soul. He does not like you if you're a Christian. He hates you. In fact, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. the devil hates you. He hates you. But if you're a believer... Maybe he hates you more. And he wants to resist anything. So he does not want you to be blessed in any way because we really understand the power of blessing is to be blessed to be a blessing. So who wants somebody who's going to be like Jesus and get blessed and pass blessings along everywhere? So he resists anything. He definitely resists your spiritual growth, absolutely. If you say, I am going to get up a little early and pray, he will say, no, I don't think so. You know, We'll make sure you're really sleepy in the morning. You know what? I'm going to spend some time in the Word of God every morning or every noonday or whenever. He'll find anything to distract you. It, it, he, he resists spiritual growth. The Bible says we have an enemy of our soul and we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. Because he's resisting us, we resist him. And if we resist him, the Bible says he will flee from us. Because we are more than conquerors in Christ. And so the enemy of our souls pushing against you. It, it can be anything. He doesn't want you to be healthy. He doesn't want you to be happy. If you come and say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to pray. I'm going to make sure we have the best marriage ever that glorifies God. The enemy of your soul be, well, we'll see about that. Uh, you're going to win if you'll stay focused. You say, you know what? I'm going to eat healthy and exercise. They say, well, we'll see about that fat so. Uh, we'll 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 just see whether you're really going to do that or not. I don't, whatever you want to do, that's good. You have an enemy who resists it. The enemy of your soul, he resists it. When I want to do good, what's present? Evil. Evil is present there with me. I'm not asking you to be scared about that, because we're more than conquerors in Christ. He's a defeated foe. But our victory lies in us resisting him and really grabbing a hold of what the Word of God says. So, Paul begins to lament and bemoan his situation. He says in Romans seven twenty four, what a wretched man I am, there's an exclamation point there, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And most of us stop right there we say, hey, there's the human dilemma, there's the Christian dilemma, you want to do good, you can't do good, you try to do good, you do bad, that's just the way we're going to live for the rest of our lives, that's just it. That's the devil trying to pervert the word of God. I will tell you this, the devil knows the Bible. He knows it. You say, well, I don't know if he knows it. Yeah, he does. Remember when he tempted Jesus? He tempted Jesus, and Jesus would begin to answer with the scriptures. And Satan was thinking, that's working pretty good. So he uses the scripture against Jesus. He says, just throw this yourself off this temple, because the scriptures say that the Lord will lift you up, even so you won't stub your toe, so you won't stumble against a stone. Now, here's the beautiful thing about real Bible study is Jesus said, and it is also written, do not tempt the Lord your God. So there's this whole counsel of God, and Satan will want to pervert it. So he'll want us to stop right here. He does not want the rest of the verse being read. But I'm going to read the rest of the verse. God's good. He says, who will deliver me? I'm subject to death. I'm wretched. I have no hope. What's going on? I need some help. And then he says in verse 25, thanks be to whom? To God, who, what's the next word? Delivers. Thanks be to God who delivers. Delivers from what? From this body of death. Delivers from from not being able to do good. He delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The older I get in the Lord, the more it becomes more clear to me that any forward progress I've ever made is all because of him. You know, you'd like to say, well, I made all this forward progress because I'm so this and that. It's all because of him. So he's the source of everything. Who will deliver me? Jesus will. Jesus will deliver me. And so you got this old covenant, and Paul says, I can't do it. you got the gospel of grace. Anyone can do the gospel of grace. Anyone can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone can call upon the name of the Lord. And the gospel of grace is full of good news because the Bible teaches us that the grace of God actually empowers us and enables us. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12, you'll find that, you can look it up later, Titus 2, 11 and 12, it says this, that it says, the grace of God has appeared to all people and it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no. So what happens is if you read those two verses, you'll find out the grace of God empowers you to say yes to what you should say yes to and to say no to what you should say no to. So we got to change the way we think and the way we talk and we say, I just can't do that. Well... I get it if you're saying I want to fly like Superman. I I can't do that. But when when there's things that we should be able to do as men and women of God, then we have to say it's yes and amen in God. It's yes and amen. And so we have this grace that empowers us. And I also don't want you to forget. Did you forget? I hope not. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Jesus says don't leave Jerusalem. Until you receive the gift the Father promised. The Holy Spirit. For when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive, does anybody remember? Power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He is an empowering agent. The Holy Spirit is in us, around us, on us. We are covered with the Holy Spirit. So, we need to know that. So let's look at this and say, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I, I feel like I hear Tracy saying it's not your human effort and your human energy that's going to accomplish these things, so I guess I'm not supposed to do anything. That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, I do want you to know there are natural things that you do that are spiritual principles. You could say, well, I thought you were saying I couldn't do anything, so I was just going to, I wanted a promotion at work, and I wanted to move forward at work, but if I can't do anything, I guess I'll just go in you know, shop on Amazon, play Solitaire, or Candy Crush, or I don't know what the, the new games are, and I'll just pray, and God will promote me. You know what? You might pray and might get fired that day. Ah, prayer didn't work. Well, well, there's a whole counsel of God. Remember, throw yourself off. But the Lord also says, remember this, the Lord also says, all hard work is profitable. All hard work brings a profit. So there's a lot of natural things we do that are spiritual as well, so don't don't skip over those. And we need to put all those things together. But we can't just do it on human effort. We need to be empowered by God. You know, the Apostle Paul said this at one point. He said, I worked harder than all the other apostles. Did you hear that? I worked harder than all the other apostles, yet not I. It was God working in me. So he had to say, I did work hard. I worked really hard. But the bottom line is God was working in me. God enabled me. So we're going to go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians, wonderful, beautiful book. Galatians is a a church in the, the city of Galatia. Believers that have come together. Paul's teaching them. He's equipping them to move forward in their walk with God. And they get stumbled. Because they've been having this revival in their life. They, the Holy Spirit's being poured out upon them. Miracles are being worked among them. Is there anybody who would mind that? Miracles working among them, Holy Spirit, power of God. Things are wonderful. And then somebody came to them and said, Galatians, so happy about your newfound faith in Jesus. That's so beautiful. But I, I want to let you know that there's a little more than just Jesus. There's a little more than just salvation by grace through faith. It's Jesus and the law you got to keep the law you got to dot every i and cross every t that's the real gospel and paul got infuriated and said he used some of the strongest words for the people in the book of galatia uh, who bewitched you that's a very strong spiritual word who bewitched you who cut in on you who tripped you up you were running a great race. I just want to ask you one question. Read the book of Galatians. You'll, you'll feel the spiritual energy in him while he's saying this. He's saying, I just want to ask you one question. Did God pour out his spirit upon you and work miracles among you because you kept the law or because you believed what you heard? They knew the answer to it because they believed what they heard before anybody ever told them they had to obey the law And God is working miracles among them. So God empowers us and God enables us. So he's writing to these Galatians to try to let them know the power of the Holy Spirit versus your human effort. So he writes here in Galatians 5, verse 16, "...so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires or lusts of the flesh." For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Capital S, Holy Spirit. So the flesh and the Spirit are at odds with one another. If the Holy Spirit said do this, your flesh will say do something different. If your flesh wants to do this, the Holy Spirit says that's a bad idea. So they're in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we get this, this commissioning from Paul to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. Next week, we'll talk more about that because it sounds so good, doesn't it? Yes, we're going to walk by the Spirit. And then if you're like me, you pause and go, what's that mean? How do you do that? Well, we'll talk about that next week. We could have talked about it today. It's not my fault we're not talking about it today. It's your fault because if you would tell me every week, I don't care how long you go, I want you to go till you've exhausted everything, we could spend all the time in it. But I said, mercifully. I will stop at this and we'll talk about the answers next week. So here we're going to look at the flesh. So you say, I'm going to, in my own steam, I'm going to make this happen in my own flesh, my own energy. Well, Paul says, I'm going to show you what your flesh produces. So are you ready? This is what your flesh produces. The acts or works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. It's not a word we use... Uh, Much, But debauchery is basically just no holds barred, gross, sinful, sensualness, and do whatever. I just want you to know, there are sinners that say, that sin's too far. Debauchery says, there ain't no sin too far. Just keep going. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. I will tell you this, the scripture actually is not against ambition, it is against selfish ambition, we're warned about that multiple times in scripture. Paul was extremely ambitious, but it wasn't selfish, it was for the kingdom. So, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. I want to pause there just for a second, because those little things that, you know, about everybody does that don't think anything about it, but... Factions and dissensions are you just causing little schisms between people? Well, yeah, they say that, but really, we kind of... and I you know you're part of that group. now nah, nah, And next, next thing, you know, just subtle little, sweet little ways you show dissension and faction. Then it goes on, it says envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I want to define "and the like." "And the like" means this. I didn't have enough room to write out all the sins but you got a general idea, and there's a thousand more that are like these. So, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to clarify that. The phrase is those who live like this. If, if that phrase would have said, "Anyone who's ever done any of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God, we're all out, all of us. Because every one of us have done multiple of those things.? Okay? Some of you high achievers have done all of them. okay? You've done all of them, okay? And multiple times. So the, the verse isn't, Man, have you' ever done anything like this, you're out of here. You, you, you're the kingdom of God's not yours. Also, we see from Scripture, from the whole counsel of God, Paul talking to genuine Christians that are going to heaven. He says to them, hey, Christians, your behavior is inappropriate here. You need to get rid of this. One of them, says, anger. Get rid of malice. Now, let's think for a second. If when you became a Christian, it was impossible for you to be angry or to cause division or diss- dissension or anything like that, then there would be no need for God to warn us in scripture hey Christians stop doing this because it would be impossible for us to do we know it's not impossible for us to do many of these things but we do not want to have a lifestyle of this if you read Galatians 19, chapter 5 19, 20 and 21 and say that's the way I want to live I don't want to go after God that sounds like a wonderful wild party to me and that's the way I want to live just know this you've made a choice that Jesus is not Lord that you're not going to live the life of a believer, and don't be deceived or fooled into thinking that you'll inherit the kingdom of God. And believe it or not, there are many people like that. They live so much like Galatians 5, 19, 20, and 21, and if you ask them, are you a Christian, do you think you're going to heaven, they'll probably pause and go, I would think so. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, why are you a pretty good person? Because I haven't yet gotten to debauchery so I think I'm a pretty good person. Now, Jesus is our answer. So these acts, these works of the flesh, they're produced. And man, they can happen like that. How about a fit of rage? Nobody's ever had this, but it's a good illustration. Um, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you just, you lay on the horn, you scream, you do all, you just have a fit of rage. Did you notice that if that's ever happened to you, just did it like that? It was just an act of work that just popped up. But something else is going to happen for the believer and it's found in the next verses. But the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is not an instant act. Fruit is not something that just happens like that. Fruit has to be nurtured. Fruit has to grow. Fruit has a a fruition time till it comes, till it's ready to, to have all the sweetness of it. And so for the believer, God... By the Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, I believe it's totally orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, is trying to get get us a visual image of acts that are spontaneous versus fruit, which has to be nurtured. And so it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. I want you to think about this. I read the Acts of the Flesh, and when I read them, and you followed along or read along, they did even feel ugly to you, didn't they? Just even the words and the reading of it. I'm going to get ready to read this. You can read along, follow along. And these words will be peaceful and calming. And there'll be something beautiful about them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. That means patience or long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness is consistency gentleness and self-control you read that list you go there's just something that does feel and sound wholesome and right about those against such things there's no law there's no jewish law there's no jewish law that's against these things against such there is no law those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires again sounds good what's that mean how do we do that we'll talk about that next week Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, which is passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Fruit has to be cultivated. Um, Any orchard, if you go look at at an orchard, and it's healthy and produces great fruit, they probably have some kind of protection around it from animals if it's a kind of fruit that an animal wants to walk in and eat. They'll have some kind of fencing or something to protect it. They'll fertilize the soil to make sure it's nutrient-rich. They will put pesticides to make sure the bugs and things aren't eating it away. They will do their very best to create an environment for fruitfulness. They will create an environment for fruitfulness. And it does not happen overnight. As much as an entrepreneur and a capitalist would love to, you know, have an a orange crop come to fruition every three days, it's not going to happen. It takes time. Still, after all we do, we're dependent upon the sun and the rain and all that to make an orchard grow and be fruitful. And so, this is the long process of coming to the Lord and making sure we're creating an environment. We're not making fruit happen. You can't make fruit happen. You can't go out and will that apple tree to grow those. I mean, I want to make a pie today. I know it's, I know it's you know April 1st, but come on, May. I want that, I want that fruit to grow. You can't make it grow. It takes time. Your life gets, uh, has an atmosphere around it. It has an environment around it that either is conducive and helpful for growth or is destructive towards growth. Some things you may not be able to change, but most things we can. Some of you could change your life. This is going to be a hard word. I'm serious about that. Some of you could change your life if you would change the people you hang with. Sometimes you can't change that, and I'm not joking about this. Sometimes you're married to somebody as cantankerous old coot that just you go, oh, I try to grow in God, and i got to keep strong with that. God will help. God will make a way. God will make up the difference. But you have control over things. What happens is we build relationships and friendships around activities that we enjoy together. We say, well, we like the same kind of music. We like the same kind of clothing. We like the same kind of restaurants. So we surround ourselves with those friends. My question isn't, do you have the same interests as them? Do you have the same values of them? And if you say, wow, my value system, their value system is very different then I want to challenge you, change your friends. They say, well, I thought we were supposed to make a difference in the world. You are, and you will, after you change your friends and grow up spiritually. But you're not changing your friends by them pulling you down in the muck and the mire, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. But you could if you create an environment for growth. So look at your life and say, am I creating an environment, what I watch, what I listen to, who I hang with, what I value, am I creating an environment that actually produces spiritual growth? Or am I creating an environment that hinders spiritual growth? So, we're going to move towards a wrap-up here. We've identified the problem, and we've got a peek at the solution, but we'll spend more time on it next week. But get that environment, start thinking about that. So here's our assignment. Read Galatians 5 a few times this week. I would encourage you to do It probably takes you three to four minutes maximum reading it extremely slow. So if you read it slow and thoughtful... It'll take you three or four minutes to read Galatians chapter five. Reading Galatians chapter five, then think about what you read, ponder, meditate on it, pray about it. I'll bet if you do that and ask the Lord, show me something, you'll find something in Galatians 5 that will truly minister to your spiritual growth, and you can chew on that and think about that for the week. And if you're a you know, just you know, one of those great achievers, read the whole book. The whole book in slow motion will probably take you twenty minutes to read, and that's truly reading it slow motion. So read the whole thing if you can. Then I want you to apply any spiritual ideas you find. When you find some, apply it. Here's what I've said, others have said, it's just a biblical truth. You get information, that's wonderful, but information has to move to application. Once information goes to application, then it produces transformation, but it doesn't do it just by information. And me and you, we all got so much information up here, but we need to work on our application. And hopefully the Word of God will give you some inspiration and motivation and all those other Asians that we can keep growing in the things of God. So apply those spiritual ideas to your life and practice on them this week. You say, well, I tried and I, I didn't do it that well. That's okay. You, there's nothing you did for the first time you did well. Nothing you did for the first time. And, man, I think if we just, as a church family, not just this, but the church family at large, you know, outside these walls and in our community, if we would just get excited you ever see parents with a baby, you know? A baby's starting to walk and can't do it so well. And they wobble and fall down. What's everybody do? They cheer. They go nuts. I could say, I cannot walk that baby any day of the week. You know, nobody cheers me when I walk in. That's okay, but we're, we're, it's growth. It's progress. Nobody sees a little baby take three steps and say, like, Loser, you're never going to make it. I had higher expectations than that of you. No, we don't say that. So if you find an idea, you put it into practice, You say, I didn't do it that well, celebrate. You put it into practice. You took two steps. That's fine. May have been a baby step, but you took steps, and we're growing. And celebrate those around you who try something. Don't beat them up. Maybe you're a prayer warrior, and you worked on that for 40 years, and you got a friend, neighbor, kid, parent, something who tries to pray and can't seem to make it seven minutes. They say, I set a goal for praying in 10 minutes, but I couldn't. What's wrong with you? I get up and pray two hours every morning. Well, God bless you. They don't need to hear that. Cheer them that they made it five minutes and help them grow in God. Okay, here's just a little helpful thing for you. See, I don't know really where to go and find all this stuff. There's a, it's, this is all free stuff. There You can go to your computer to BibleGateway.com. There's lots of them out there. There's just one I like, BibleGateway.com. It'll give you a dozen or two dozen different translations of the Scripture. Probably at least half of them have a little speaker you can click on, and some incredible voice will read to you the Bible while you follow along. That's a good deal for free. Then if you have a, a tablet, a smartphone, uh, version it's an app. You can get version, download it to your phone, your smartphone, your tablet. Same thing. It's like a dozen or two free versions of the Bible. You can look through and click on it and just let it read it to you while you follow along. Maybe you're driving down the car. If you're driving the car, don't follow along. Just let it talk to you. And just, you can have that word getting put into you. So let's stay Jesus conscious this week. Let's practice the presence of God like we talked last week. Let's start thinking about how to enhance our environment for spiritual growth so we can be everything God has called us to be. Because before the foundation of this world, I want you to know something. Before the foundation of the world, he had good works for you and for me to do. He, he ordained them before the creation of the world, and we need to be about his business doing them. So let's be everything he's called us to be. Let's pray together.